you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Can you turn the house lights up so people can see? Thank you. Last week we covered chapter number 8. And in, in chapter 8, Paul set out the, the limits of Christian liberty. Uh, limits that are really determined by brotherly love. Uh, limits that are concerned by the welfare of fellow Christians. And this is how Paul summarized the principle in, in verse number 9 of chapter 8. He said this. He said, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And so in summary, our rights end when another person's conscience is defiled. Uh, that's what uh, he's saying in, in chapter number 8. Now, chapters 8 to 10 is a section of 1 Corinthians that's on idolatry. And so chapter 8 is on food offered to idols. And now we're going to see in chapter number 9 that Paul gives an illustration of how he's willing to apply this principle in his own life. And so verses 118, he discusses his right to be financially supported by the churches uh, to whom he ministers. Uh, in verses 15 and 16, he, or 15 to 18, he gives us the reasons why he would not take advantage of that right. And then verses 19 to 27, he explains that he would give up any and every right for the sake of winning men to Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple weeks. Now we're going to cover this first section. Now what I want you to do as we go through it is this. Keep in mind that the verses we're reading today are actually a setup for the main point that he's going to make. So keep that in mind, because the, the best way I know to teach through, there's several ways to go through what we're going to cover today, and I'm just going to teach through it, rather than preach through it, if that's okay, because I need to set it up for the following sermons. But we're going to see six reasons why Paul had the right to be supported by the churches. He, he gives six reasons why that's true. And we'll, we'll see those as we read. If you will stand with me as we read scripture. Verse number one, he says this, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Now let me stop there. Those four questions are rhetorical questions. The way they're structured in the original language they're rhetorical. Everybody knows the answer to those questions. Verse number two, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take a long believing wife as the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? By the way, Cephas, who is that? It's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Then he goes to a different set of arguments. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? 
Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope that the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not have even more? Man, a ton of questions so far, right? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Let's bow our heads and pray. Your word brings life. Your word is truth, and your word is light. We ask that your word will shine light into our hearts so that we can see truth and have life in his name amen may be seated the new york times ran an article recently that illustrates what the new york times calls the culture of entitlement and it told the story of an office worker who asked for time off to go attend a friend's funeral. When his boss expressed sympathy and said, you know, take as much time as you need, uh, the guy, instead of doing what he said he was going to do, he went to Wisconsin to a forest to hang out with his brother and blog about the experience. His blog was entitled, How to Lose Your Mind and Build a Treehouse. And this is the first line. Ready? I said I was leaving town for a funeral. I lied. Well, his employer happened to be an avid reader of his blog. And was a little more than taken aback to read those comments. Not because it was the first time an employee lied to him to get some time off. That's hardly novel in employment, right? But because the man thought nothing of declaring proudly before the world uh, um, online his total disregard for the workplace rules and expectations. It seems, uh, to the employer at least, to demonstrate a culture of entitlement that left his employer bewildered, right? Then the New York Times went on in that same article to cite headlines to describe millennials as entitled, lazy, narcissistic, addicted to social media. Now, let me stop. Remember, this is the article saying that, not me. Okay, millennials, I'm not saying that. That's the news article. It was online. Narcissistic, entitled, lazy, addicted to social media. Went on to say, um, they don't need trophies. They want reinforcement. They want their own egos stroked. Well, I'm here to say that entitlement is a problem, but it's not just a problem for millennials, is it? 
It's, it's a problem for all of us if we're honest. I have 2020 vision when it comes to my rights. And I expect you all to acknowledge my rights. But I'm a little fuzzy when it comes to your rights. And you're a little fuzzy when it comes to my rights. Am I, am I correct about that? I think I am. Rights, we know. Responsibilities, eh, not so much. It, it's a culture of entitlement. In our passage this morning, some of the Corinthians, uh, the Christian Christians, some of them uh, thought or had a similar entitlement mindset. And we saw that in chapter number eight, right? I'm entitled to these things. And so they seem to be raising objections, questioning Paul's authority as an apostle and dismissing his ministry and maybe even doubting whether or not he needs to be paid. And so Paul counters with several reasons why he has the right to be paid. And that's what we're gonna be looking at today. The first thing that he says is that I am an apostle, verses one to three. Look at what he says. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are my seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Now notice that he uses the words defense and examine. Those are, those are legal words. This is a, a legal um, language that he's using here. Paul's defending himself against what he thinks is a, a hostile, biased, and prejudiced prosecution by the, the people in the church at Corinth. And this is his defense. He offers a number of points in his defense, and we'll consider the points in just a moment. But I want to ask a question. Have you ever wondered why the Corinthians were so frustrated that Paul wouldn't take their money? If you read the rest of the chapter, it becomes clear that he has made them upset. And Paul refused to take their money. And this is what is important for you to understand about that culture. In ancient cities like Corinth, and, and Corinth was a prominent city, they had these traveling orators and public speakers who would depend upon the, 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 the generosity of wealthy residents in the city to support them. They were patrons, and they would lodge in their homes, and they would receive financial remuneration from them and all sorts of things like that. And of course, in those days, as in our days, when there's money involved, there are also what? Strings attached, right? I mean, really, has the government ever given you anything free of charge? And so if you were one of those orators in the, um, under the employment of a wealthy patron, the wealthy patron had every right to expect some praise from you and some support from you as the orator for your patron's private agenda. Uh, he, the, the orator might even be a, a puppet 
But if you're a wealthy patron, you're the man who pulls the strings on the puppet. And the order, the speaker, might be, might be uh, the money, but you get to be the organ grinder, you see? Um, but Paul simply would not play that game. There was no way to control Paul or his ministry, and so they adopt a tactic that's not all too uncommon when the entitled do not get the way and get what they believe is their due. I mean, we see the same thing happening in our society today. And so what Paul does in the face of all this is he begins to launch a defense of his right to receive the money that he's not taking from them. And he says, I'm an apostle. And he gives two arguments. By the way, do you know what it takes to be an apostle? I, I've told you this before. I'll just say it one more time. Uh, when we were in Memphis at Eastside Baptist Church, just two blocks from our church was a church that had an apostle in their church. But when you read the biblical qualifications for apostle, Paul gives two of them. Number one he said, I'm apostle because I have seen the resurrected Lord. He did, didn't he? On the road to Damascus, he saw he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. In Acts chapter 9, Paul saw the Lord risen from the dead, received his commission directly as an apostle from the mouth of the risen and exalted Jesus Christ right there on that road. The second uh, proof of his apostleship is the Corinthians uh, Corinthian church themselves, he says, um, are you not my, the seal of my apostleship? Uh, how do you know that the apostle Paul is a real thing? Answer, changed lives, conversions. You guys have heard my gospel and you're evidence of that supernatural reality. You are the seal of my apostleship. Now there's, there's a common saying, I know all of you have heard it, but it, it bears repeating God is not interested in our fruitfulness, only our faithfulness, right? That's what he's interested in. He's interested in our faithfulness. Fruitfulness is God's business. Faithfulness is our business. We are called to be faithful to the calling that he's given us, and that's a true statement. Our responsibility is faithfulness, God will take care of the fruitfulness, and that is the way this ministry operates. It is not my job to see conversions. It is not my job to see people grow in Jesus Christ. My responsibility is to be faithful to proclaim that gospel. My responsibility is to be faithful to tell people of, of the truth about Christian living in sanctification and gently rebuke people when they need it. But the fruitfulness, the fruit of that is God's responsibility. Would you agree? Yeah, we, we can't confuse our responsibilities. And so Paul is saying, my faithfulness in the service of the Lord is demonstrated by fruit in your lives. And so Paul defends his ministry. Now, because he's an apostle, he defends his right in two ways. In verses 4 and 5, this is where we are now, verses 4 and 5, he says, first of all, since I'm an apostle, I have the right to financial support. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? That is, 
as a minister of God, not to mention an apostle, do I not, don't I not have the right to expect at least food and drink to be provided for me? The second thing that he says is, he says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas, again, is the apostle Peter. So now he's saying, look, all the other apostles and even Jesus' half-brothers, you know, the, the, um, the boys who were born to Jesus' mother and, for lack of a better term, stepdad. I don't know what you would call Joseph, right? Um, dad by marriage. And um, they all had wives, and apparently they were all in the ministry, and they were being supported. And Paul said, I, though I chose singleness as my status, I have every right in the Lord to be married. Uh, just like all the other apostles. And if I were married like the other apostles, I would have the right that she be supported by you as well. And I believe that's a, that's a principle that um, carries through in Christian ministry in churches of paying pastors, missionaries, and other such Christian workers enough so that their wives don't have to work, so that they can have more time to be with their husbands in ministry. And I am so thankful that Providence Bible Church has done that for us. And, and um, if, if Heather were working, some of the ministry that she's involved in now would not happen. And so I'm, I'm so thankful that Providence has seen fit to do that. I'm, I'm blessed beyond measure, and I'm grateful. Paul held the special place of apostle. So listen real quick, because we're getting ready to transition. He's an apostle. There are no more apostles. However, the rest of the principles can be applied to pastors and the missionaries and Christian workers, the, the, the other principles. And so the second argument found in verse number 7 that, that Paul has a right to be supported is that it's expected. He fires off a string of arguments to reinforce the point that supporting and maintaining the work of the ministry of the gospel is the duty of the church. Look at verse number 7. Who serves as a soldier is his own expense? How many are, um, how many were in the military? Raise your hand. All right, did anybody pay their way? No, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Nobody pays their way in the military. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of its milk? It, it's ridiculous to think that, isn't it? And these all benefit from their labors, so why should Paul or any pastor who labors among the people be any different? The answer is they shouldn't be, right? Let me give you another argument. Verses 8 to 11, it is God's law. The principle of workers being paid for the work is not merely according to human authority, but we're going to see the, the, that's what the previous illustrations are, human or earthly, whatever you want to call it, earthly and now he goes to the fact that it, God's law teaches it. Verse number 8 says this, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Who said that? Moses did, right? It's a, it's a quote from Deuteronomy. God's law teaches that oxen are allowed to munch some of the produce while they're trudging around in circles trying to separate the grain from the chaff. Now it is for oxen that God is concerned that's the question, is it? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake 
Because the plowman should plow in hope, the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. God, who is concerned about the oxen, is much more concerned for his ministers. The oxen who serve their masters, ministers who serve the Lord and the church, Paul says, is to ensure that they're providing for. So while men are working to um, and should be paid for their labor, so should men who are working for God. Men working for men get paid, men working for God to get paid. And that's what Paul says in verse number 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap uh, material things from you? And so that's the principle. I mean, these are all basic, aren't they? Common sense. You're probably wondering why I'm belaboring the point. Uh, Paul's belaboring the point, not me. I'm just explaining what he's saying. So, uh, most people here are employed in some way, and you do physical work, um, even in an office, I would call that you're working for another man or for, for the man or whatever else, and you get paid for it. Ministers of the gospel, Jesus Christ, minister for God to the church, and they get paid for it as well. He goes on for another argument in verse number 12. If others share in this rightful claim on you, do not even we more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. It's also done for others. In spite of the many reasons he has to justify his right to be supported, he waived that right. He makes this radical decision. He refuses to exercise his rights in this whole area himself. He completely waived it. We're going to see later on, he was a tent maker, okay? He was a tent maker. Verse number 15, he says, but I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing any of these things to secure any provision. And remember Paul in the previous chapter, what did he teach? Love constrains liberty. He's demonstrating how his love restrained his liberty in this area. And that's how Christians ought to behave. And I just want to park here for just a minute because this goes against everything that we are taught in American culture. Doesn't it? Don't trample on my rights. I have my rights and I'm going to exercise my rights. And um, Christians need to remember that just because we have the right doesn't mean that we need to exercise it. And so Paul is not getting paid. And he's saying just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's always loving to do it. And now we see that Paul is practicing what he preaches. And the great burden of his life is this. What is the burden of Paul's life? Exactly. The gospel. That the gospel will never be hindered. He doesn't want anybody claiming that Paul's only in it for the cash. He wants the gospel to come to them freely because if you think about it, isn't the gospel free? It is. It was freely offered to us. No strings attached. We, we talk a lot about the free offer of the gospel. That is that there's a, there's a Savior for you 
whoever you are, whatever sin you may be aware of, however guilty you may be in the sight of God, there is a Savior available to you in Jesus Christ. And you can take him for free. You need nothing but to trust in him and he will save you. Didn't we hear that this morning from Rob? He's trusting Christ. We have a wonderful gospel to proclaim, a freely offered gospel for all people everywhere. But here's the measure of just how far the free offered gospel has penetrated into our bones, into our DNA. Here's the measure of it. You ready? Those who really grasp the wonder of the gospel will do almost anything to get out of the way. To let the gospel do its work. To let the force of the gospel, the full power of God to do its good work on people's lives. Isn't that what you want? You know, um, I, I enjoy witnessing. I, uh, I got an opportunity the other day to witness to a man named Lino. And just awesome. And the whole time I'm talking to him, uh, my, my, my thinking is so different. When I was a young man, I used to th- sit there while I was talking, pray, Lord, help me to have the right words to say, the right argument, the right angle, those sort of things. My argument now is, Lord, my prayer is, Lord, help me to get out of the way, give him scripture, and let the gospel do its work. Amen? The gospel is powerful. The third thing, or the, the other argument that we see is that it's a temple pattern. Look at verse number 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? That those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? That's, that's, what, that's what giving is about Sunday by Sunday. Rob mentioned the tithe today. When you give to Providence Bible Church, that is what you're giving to. You're giving to gospel ministry or gospel ministers, to gospel ministry, gospel workers, and gospel work. You're giving, um, you, you shouldn't think of this as, as giving, propping up uh, an institution or funding a budget or greasing the organizational wheels. No, it's, it's about maintaining people in ministry in local missions, in women's ministry, in ordained pastoral ministry. And that is the duty that Paul reminds the Corinthians of. This is for gospel work when you give to Providence Bible Church or any church that preaches the gospel, right? And then he says this. His last argument is that Jesus ordained it. Look at verse number 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul had the right to ask for support because the Lord ordained the principle. Both God's law and God's son teach that his prophets and teachers and ministers be paid for the work in the Lord. The, the New Testament teaching reiterates the old. Now we're not exactly sure what Paul's referring to here, but he could be referring to Luke um, 10, 7, when when Jesus instructed the 70 to go out. Uh, Or he could be referring to an otherwise unrecorded teaching of Christ or special revelation that's giving. In any case, Jesus personally taught this truth. 
And so the Lord commands his people to offer support to those who minister to them, but he does not command those who minister to accept that support. Now, personally, I'm going to accept it. (laughs) Paul did not. But he had the right, as much as any and more than most, but, the, but for the gospel's sake and for the brethren's sake and for love's sake, he gladly limited, limited his liberty. He willingly waived his right. So you know what my prayer is for us? My prayer is for you and for me that God would so arrest our souls, so grab our attention and grip our hearts by this freely offered gospel that he'll grip us in wonder and awe and glory at what has been done to us in Jesus Christ that we find ourselves gladly surrendering our rights and privileges so that the gospel may come through others to others and even through us and when that happens It's done to the glory and the praise of the Lord. Will you pray with us? We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel that has been given to us so freely. Lord, we have been given more than we have the ability to set our minds on. We have been given more than we will be able to express in all the days of eternity. I ask that our desire for your glory and our love for the brothers will be such that in any area where you call us to limit our, our liberty, we will gladly do it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.